this morning. We are going to be continuing our journey throughout the book of Galatians. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 this morning. So if you've got your copy of your Bible with you, I encourage you to go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3 and find verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, the scripture will be on the screen and you can follow along with us. Now, this is the fourth sermon in this particular series. And as we prepare to take a step into the scripture this morning, I want to remind you, as Brother Blake and I often do, that as hearers of a sermon, you have the responsibility to take what you hear that is being preached from this pulpit or any other pulpit and compare it directly to the Word of God. You've got that responsibility. Perhaps you remember some of the other sermons in this particular series. One of the problems that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is addressing is that there has been false teaching that it has made its way into the churches of this region of Galatia. It's made its way in. People have accepted the teaching. And can I just tell you something this morning? It is way more difficult to accept false teaching if you are following along in your Bible, if you know what the Bible says. It is far more difficult to be deceived by false teaching. So I'd encourage you always, no matter if you're hearing a sermon here or if you're hearing a sermon on the radio, on a podcast, on TV, at another church, compare what you hear preached to the Word of God. Now, just in case, if this might be the first sermon that you're hearing in this particular series, one of the things that Paul is battling is that since this false teaching has crept its way into these churches, they have accepted the belief that salvation is based on something other than Jesus. For instance, Jesus plus something. And obviously, we know that that is not true. But you know, there are certain people in our world today, perhaps you even know some people that believe that salvation is based on Jesus plus good works. And that is so, so false. Can you hear me this morning? It is not possible for us to be good enough to get to heaven on our own. It is not possible. See, it's Jesus, only Jesus and as we've been talking this morning, I know we all know that, that Thanksgiving Day is on Thursday of this week. And about nine weeks ago, the Lord placed something on my heart and it just convicted me. He used it to convict me. And the question was, and I think maybe I shared a little bit about this in prayer time one Sunday morning. And I've been also sharing about this on Wednesday nights. If you're a part of our Wednesday night congregation... Each Wednesday that I've preached in that period of time in the last nine weeks, I have shared my heart on this. But the question that the Lord asked me is, Todd, what are you doing to prepare your heart for Thanksgiving? What are you doing to prepare your heart for Thanksgiving? You know, we, we prepare for Christmas as we very well should. We should prepare 
to celebrate Christmas. In fact, next, starting next Sunday, there will be a portion of each worship service starting next Sunday between there and Christmas where we will talk specifically about Advent and we will prepare ourselves for the coming of the baby Jesus. Hopefully, we will be preparing ourselves to slow down through this horribly busy season and realize why we're celebrating Christmas in the first place and not celebrate for the wrong reason. But but going back to the question, why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? What are we doing in our hearts individually to prepare for Thanksgiving? I think it was last Sunday morning, one of the hymns that we sang was that old hymn. It says, count your blessings. What's the next line? Name them one by one. How often do we really do that? When is the last time that, I'm talking to myself right now, when's the last time that I have really stopped long enough to count my blessings? When's the last time that I have stopped long enough to name them one by one? When's the last time that you've done it? Are we prepared for Thanksgiving? Are we really thankful I want to, if you haven't already done this, I want to challenge you sometime between now and Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. I'd invite you to get out a sheet of paper or if you want to get out your phone and open up a note. Write down the things that you know of beyond any shadow of a doubt that you know are only in your life due to the grace of God. I believe the list will amaze you. And just like that song, Count Your Blessing, ends, you remember what it says? And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Let's be surprised. It's a good surprise. I will promise you, if you're here this morning and you're in Christ, you've got a lot to be thankful for. Let's give Him the thanks that is due Him. So with that thought in mind, can we just say, if, if we're making that list right now, near the top of the list, you know, I've already talked about the blood of Jesus. It should be on there. We should be thankful for that. We should be thankful that salvation is based only on Jesus. It's not, some, it's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus plus keeping religious laws or, or rituals. It is simply Jesus, and we should be very thankful of that. That it's not Jesus plus keeping all these laws. But now speaking of the law, throughout today's text, we're going to see that the law actually condemns us. And we're going to see directly from this text that there are going to be six arguments that are going to present themselves. And these arguments will prove that justification by faith that we receive through God's grace is superior to the law. In a nutshell this morning, we are going to see justification by faith explained. And we're going to do that as we look at the question, how are we justified? So let's look directly at the first argument. We're going to call it argument number one. And it's simply called the argument from experience. Now when Paul starts verse one, look at his language here. Oh, foolish Galatians. And it doesn't just stop there. Look what he says. Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? 
Now, when Paul starts by calling these Galatians foolish, it should get our attention. You know, Paul is a very bold man. I don't think he wastes time with small talk. So he goes right to the point. He calls these people foolish, and then he asks them, who has bewitched you? Because, see, what's happened with these people, they have accepted the false teaching of the Judaizers. They've accepted that. And as a result of that, Paul's calling them foolish and that they have been bewitched. And then he reminds them, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. These people were now rejecting what they had actually seen through Paul's preaching. Now, in verses 2 through 5, we're going to see that Paul is going to ask these people four questions. They're documented right here in the Scripture. And he asks them these questions to demonstrate that salvation is through faith alone. It's not through Jesus plus something else. It is through faith alone. Now, the first of these questions comes in verse 2, and he asks them, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, we know what the answer is. We All of us know, I think, what the answer to that question is. It was because of hearing with faith. Now, the second question comes in verse 3 where Paul once again uses this foolish word, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul is declaring these people foolish because he knew, they knew, that they began the Christian life by faith, but now they are trying to reach maturity. They're trying to reach spiritual maturity through human effort. And again, it's not possible to do that on our efforts. We need Jesus. Now, keep in mind these Judaizers are promoting the law. There was absolutely no way, zero way under the law that the Holy Spirit could sanctify. So the Judaizers were promoting the only means to maturity that they knew of, which was obedience to the law. And then in verse 4, We see the third question, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Now when Paul uses the word suffer here, he is using a word that we would more closely identify with as experienced. So he is asking them here, have you experienced so many blessings from the Holy Spirit in vain. Now, since these people had turned to a works message, they were discounting the saving and sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit had exemplified in their lives. And then the other question comes in verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or is it by hearing with faith. 
So he said, he's just having a conversation with them, and he's saying, listen to me, people. Is this, uh, is this happening because that you are observing the law? Or is it actually happening as a result of you believing what you have heard? And, of course, it is by hearing with faith. Now, as we know, the Holy Spirit comes into the life of the believer at the moment of salvation. But it's because of grace that that happens. It's not because of the law. Now, as we move to argument number two, starting in verse six, this is going to be referred to as the argument from Abraham. And as we look at this particular argument, I want to remind you that Abraham lived before the law. He lived before the law. And he was actually saved by faith. So we could say, again, that grace is superior to the law. Now in verse 6, the Judaizers are pointing to the law of Moses as the means to salvation. Now Paul is demonstrating that Abraham, who came before Moses by how many years? A long time. 430 years that he was saved by faith and not by any type of self-effort. I want you to look at uh, Genesis fifteen sixteen for just a moment. That verse says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Paul is saying here that Abraham believed God, and as a result of that, it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was not. It wasn't counted to him as righteousness by obedience to the law. It wasn't because of any type of self-effort. It wasn't because of any kind of work. Now in verses 7 and 8, it's talking about Abraham's children. And when we read these verses, we need to keep in mind that what these verses are really talking to, talking to us about are his spiritual children, not really his physical children. Verse 8 in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel by, beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So his real children are those who believe God and are therefore justified by faith and not by the law. Now the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's plan of salvation was revealed in God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12.3. And it's actually quoted here. It's quoted here in these verses. Now in verse 9, as we look at that this morning, we see that those who are of faith are blessed according, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now this signifies that only those who have faith are justified. Not those who keep the law. Not those who do good works. Only those who have faith are justified. Now as we look at this next section of verses, starting in verse 10... Again, we're looking at the argument. We're looking at the argument from the law. Argument number three. Now, keep in mind as we look at this argument that the law cannot justify. 
The law cannot justify. What does the law do? It brings judgment. So with that, again with this argument, we can say that grace is superior to the law. Now in verse 10, what Paul is doing here is he's quoting Scripture. Now I want you to keep that in mind because it's going to be really important here in just a minute. Verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So what he's doing right there is quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26. And he does this to prove that the law cannot justify. He's telling them that the law cannot save either. But what the law can do is condemn. Now when someone broke any aspect of the law, it brought a curse on the person who actually broke the law. Now, can we just stop this morning for just a minute and affirm that there is not one of us that is capable of keeping the law perfectly. We're not, we, we can't do it. So often as I read through the Old Testament, the thing that I walk away with every time is praise the Lord that I don't have to live under those regulations. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Praise the Lord that we don't have to look to live under those regulations. It gives me a greater appreciation for Jesus, I'll tell you that. You know, when you think about all of those regulations, all of those rules, all of those laws, all of the things that they had to do, you know, when I think about myself, I think that I'm a fairly intelligent person. I really do. But can I tell you this morning, I am not smart enough to figure out all of those laws in the Old Testament. Which ones apply in which situation? What do you do? I can't do it. I am not smart enough to do that. But praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. That He was the one that was perfect. He's the one that went to the cross. And gave his life for me. That's another thing that goes on my list. Of the things I'm thankful for. For Jesus. I am so thankful for that. So in this argument. Argument number three. The argument from the law. What Paul is doing here. He is destroying the belief. That these Judaizers have. That a person can somehow be saved. Through the law. Now, as we look at verse 11, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Remember, we started off verse 10 by saying that Paul is quoting Scripture, and I told you I wanted you to remember that because it's going to be important. Guess what he's doing again in verse 11? He's quoting Scripture. Again, this time he's quoting Habakkuk 2 4. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, Paul is in an argument with these people, right? Twice in these two verses, we are seeing that what's he using as the basis of his argument? Scripture. He's using Scripture as the basis of his argument. Can I ask you to do something for me this morning? I want you just to make a mental note right now, a mental list. I want you to think about the last Three arguments that you've had with anybody. Could be with your spouse. 
It could be with a co-worker. It could be with a friend. A family member. I want you to think in your mind right now the last three arguments that you had with anybody. What did you use as the basis of your argument? Did you use Scripture? Did you use your thoughts? Or your feelings? How much more effective would our discussions be? Our arguments be? If we use Scripture as our defense, as our basis for the discussion, instead of, you hurt my feelings. Well, I think, I think you did me wrong. What's the scripture say about that? What's the scripture say? How much better off would we be if we followed Paul's example and used scripture as our basis for engaging in an argument? But back to the scripture, the righteous shall live by faith. This reveals that even during the time of the law, people were still justified by faith and not from obedience to the law. Now, these Judaizers did not see that. They would have been wrong in their fundamental message even if they had lived during the time of Moses. And the reason they would have been wrong is because they misunderstood both the power and the purpose of the law. Now, moving on to verses 12 through 14, we see that works of the law and faith of the gospel have very different consequences. In verse 13, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And how did he do it? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, so often I think we read right over this word redeemed. And maybe Maybe we don't even stop to think, what's it mean? What is the Scripture telling us here? Why did they use that particular word? Well, in that particular culture, what redeemed was, it was typically when someone purchased a slave for the sole purpose of setting them free. A person would purchase a slave for the sole purpose of setting them free. Isn't that what Jesus did for us through his death on the cross? Are we thankful for that this morning? Is that one of the things that you will write on your list, that you are thankful that he paid the penalty of the curse? And you know, when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in him, as our Lord and Savior, guess what He does? He frees us from the slavery of the law. And then in verse 14, we see that Christ redeemed us on the cross for two purposes. The first is that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Why? So that we might receive the promised Spirit through the faith. I want us to stop just a minute and pray. I, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what's going on with the emergency situation, but pretty much the entire time that I've been preaching, I've heard uh, sirens off and on. Jesus knows what's going on. Let, let's stop just a moment and pray for whatever the situation is. Father, this is one of those times that I have absolutely no idea 
what, what the reason for these sirens are. Lord, but I know that you know perfectly what the situation is. And Father, I pray right now that you will be with the emergency workers, the paramedics, possibly firemen and women that are going. Lord, I pray that you will give them wisdom. I pray that your hand of safety will be upon them as well. And Lord, I pray that your hand will be upon whatever this situation is. And Father, I pray that you will just simply move in a mighty way and provide what is needed. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to move on to argument number four. And we see that beginning in verse 15. And this one we are going to call the argument from the permanence of faith. Now, again, I've mentioned this one other time. Abraham was saved by faith 430 years before the law was given to Moses. So, again, we could say that grace is superior to the law. Now, in verses 15 and 16, we see that the Judaizers argued that since the law came after Abraham, they were saying that the law had priority over grace. But Paul, what does he do here? He appeals to a contract that is permanently binding. Again, what we've got to realize is that once a permanently binding contract was written and signed, it could not be changed. It didn't matter what the situation or the circumstances was. So Paul is referring here to a permanently binding contract. And Paul is arguing that God's promise of salvation by faith to Abraham, it was that binding contract and that nothing, no law that they could come up with, no matter how perfectly they followed it, nothing could change that permanently binding contract. And then it says it was made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now in verses 17 through 18, Paul clarifies the law. Again, 430 years was when that was given after the Abrahamic grace promise. And it does not, just, it does not nullify justification by faith. Faith is the permanent path to salvation. It is the permanent path to salvation, faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this inheritance was given as an unconditional gift to those who believed. Now, even though these Judaizers did not agree with this, the message of justification given to Abraham, it's permanent, and it has priority over the law. Now, as we move to this next argument, argument number Five, we see that the, this is going to be referred to as the argument from the purpose of the law. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25. And I want you to keep in mind that as we look at these verses, that the law's purpose was never to save. The law's purpose was never to save. The law's purpose has always been a standard that would show us the magnitude of our sin to show us that we've got a need for grace. And then what does it ultimately do? It leads us to Jesus. The law was a temporary measure. That's what it was supposed to be. So once again, we could say that grace is superior to the law. So in verse 19, Paul reveals the purpose of the law by asking a question, and then we see that he answers it. 
So he starts off with, why then the law? Why then the law? And then he answers the question. He says it was added, why? Because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. The law laid down a perfect standard and it made people aware when they were deviating from the perfect path. But then again, the law was temporary. Its end point was to be the coming of Christ. Its end point is the coming of Christ. It's inferior to Abraham in faith because why? It needed a mediator. It needed a mediator. And then we see in verse 20, now an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. But God is one. The Abrahamic covenant, on the other hand, was dependent only on the commitment of God, who is one. Therefore, the law was inferior to the promise given to Abraham. In verses 21 and 22, we see that Paul presents another question. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And look, he answers it again. Certainly not. Why? For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law That is not why the law was given. Instead, the purpose was to reveal that the whole world is a prisoner of sin that is condemned under its judgment. That type of condemnation created for us a real need for forgiveness and a release from the law's penalty, which equates to a need for forgiveness in Christ. So we quickly try to move through the remainder of these verses this morning. Argument number five is the argument from the purpose of the law. Paul is explaining here that before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Paul's giving this, these people one last image as he conveys the purpose of the law. Now, in Jewish culture, a slave was assigned to each child to escort them to school and to assist in their supervision. Now, when, when we think of that, we were, our minds would probably think, well, that's some sweet little nanny, a sweet little babysitter that's assigned to these children. That's not how it worked at all. That is not what their purpose was. For example, if they were on their way to school and the child did something that they were not supposed to do, this nanny would point out to the child what they had done wrong, and then guess what happened? They delivered the punishment. They delivered the punishment. So if we relate this nanny image to the law, maybe it would help us understand that the law was given to point out our sin and to threaten a great punishment if God's people didn't straighten up. But man had a problem. Man was not able to obey this law perfectly to, under, to earn God's approval that is why grace is necessary. God brought hope to man's hopelessness in the most amazing way. And how did he do it? He sent Jesus into the world. The law led us to Christ for forgiveness and for 
righteousness. And finally, as we look at verses 26 through 29, we see the final argument, which is called the argument from the believer's current position. Verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For as many of you For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. In Roman society, when a youth got old enough to be an adult, do you know what they did? They they changed clothes. They took off their children's clothes and they put on adults' clothing. They took off their children's clothes. And they put on adults' clothing. This switch indicated that that child now had adult citizenship and adult responsibilities. In the same way, the Galatians had laid aside the old clothes of the law, and they had put on Christ's new robes of righteousness. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you have on children's clothes this morning? Or are you wearing Christ's robes of righteousness? Which clothes are you wearing? Children's clothes or Christ's new robes of righteousness? If you're not wearing Christ's new robes of righteousness, you can this morning. You can do that today. In verse 28, Paul points out there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All distinctions have been removed. If you're in Christ this morning, guess what? It doesn't matter what kind of family you came from. It doesn't matter how much you did or didn't have. All distinctions are removed if we are in Christ Jesus this morning. And that is wonderful Wonderful news. Verse 29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I wonder this morning, are you an heir according to the promise? Are you an heir according to the promise? It's your hope in Jesus Christ And nothing other than that. Or are you trying to earn your salvation? Are you trying to be good enough to go to heaven? We can't do it. We need Jesus. We must have Jesus. I wonder this morning, do you know him today? Do you know Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you know about him? Or do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If not, you can today. And as I often close my sermons, you see, I, I don't have the luxury of knowing whether or not you know Jesus. 
I know if I think you do or not, but guess what? My opinion is not worth anything. You know the answer. It's between you and the Lord. So I always want to end my sermons by telling you exactly how a person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I often go back to just exactly how we teach it in Vacation Bible School. We talk a lot about the ABCs of salvation, the ABCs of Christianity. And the A means that we've got to admit that we're a sinner. That there are things in our life that have separated us from Jesus Christ. And guess what? Those things are called what? Sin. Those things are called sin. I wonder this morning, is that separation in your life? Are there things in your life right this moment that have separated you from Jesus Christ? Has there ever been a time in your life where you have repented of those sins and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? If so, His blood covers you. And you're on your way to heaven. If you have repented of your sins and asked Him to be your Lord and Savior, and you meant it, His blood covers you. The B, we've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son. That all of the things that we read about Jesus in the Bible, that guess what? They're true. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe they're true. We've got to believe that He was born of a virgin. That He lived a life here on this earth. That He experienced temptation. But He was perfect. He was the perfect person. He loved us so much that he was willing to die on the cross for us because of the great love that God had for us. And then the C stands for confess. And you've heard me say many times, this is the hardest part of the ABCs in my opinion. Because the confess revolves repenting and turning from sin. Now, will we still occasionally mess up? Yes, we will. But we should not want to. We should not be comfortable with sin, period. If we are comfortable with sin, there's a problem. I wonder, have you grown comfortable to sin today? If you, can't, if you have, you can settle that with Jesus at the foot of the cross today. I often pray, and you may, you may find this strange that I would tell you this, but I'm, I feel led to you this morning. I often pray for this congregation that the Lord will give us the ability to know what it would be like to stand before Him face to face right this very second. And you know, once that happens, once our life ends here on this earth, we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. And We're going to hear him say one of two things. He is either going to say, enter in, thy good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. He's going to say one of those two things. I pray for you often that you will always know daily what the answer to that question will be. What his response will be to you today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the day that you've given us. Father, I thank you for the people that you have brought into this place today. 
And Father, I pray that you will move throughout this sanctuary today. Father, we give you praise for your grace. We give you praise for your love and for your mercy. And Father, I pray specifically this morning that if there are people here that need to make a decision of salvation, Father, I pray that today will be the day that those chains will be broken. Father, I pray that this will be the day that people will kneel at the foot of the cross. Father, I thank you for for just your presence that's with us this morning that we have seen um, throughout the service today. We give you praise for that. Father, I pray that you will move during this invitation as well. Perhaps there are people here that have taken your love, mercy, and grace for granted and have not been thankful for those things. Father, I pray that people will come today and just do business with you. I pray that cares will be laid at your feet. And I pray that you will just lift those burdens today. Father, again, thank you for being here today. We give you the praise, honor, and glory for it all. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.